0: 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God you are not your own you were bought at a price therefore honor God with your body then we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 to the end do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the end of the reading.
1: Good morning. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The title I was given for this sermon was Self-Discipline. And I expect that all of us are uh, of the opinion that self-discipline is very important. The fact that we're all here and we've all got clothes on and probably none of us smell too much show that we have a certain amount of self-discipline. And I guess that we are... Fairly aware that many areas of life we're very self disciplined, and probably also conscious that there's one or two areas perhaps we need further improvement. I expect that we also know that certain habits or thoughts can so easily take a hold in our lives, and sometimes it can be extremely hard to break the power that something might have over us. The benefits of self-discipline are widely accepted for a mere £4.99 if you have an iPhone. Well, you can buy it irrespective of whether you've got an iPhone. You can buy a self-discipline app for your iPhone if you have one, which will help you, and I quote, develop a will of steel so you take consistent action in your life and do what needs to be done. The app name is Zen Zone App, and according to the marketing, it uses brainwaves to create personalized brain fitness sessions so you achieve your goals in life. Now, if this product does what it does for $4.99, and you happen to have an iPhone, which I don't, it's a bargain. But I'm a bit skeptical, because at the end of the day... We know that self-discipline is something that we have to learn to exercise ourselves. I wonder if somebody was to ask you, what you'd say, "What do you think the purpose of self-discipline is?" What would you say The purpose of self-discipline is? I expect most of us would regard self-discipline in some sense as a way to personal fulfillment, rather in the way that the marketers of that app would. But when we look at 1 Corinthians 9, it's it's striking that Paul speaks of self-discipline, not so much in the sense of achieving a personal goal in the here and now, but rather in attaining the rewards in the life to come. I think the emphasis is quite striking. Because I think if we weren't familiar with this passage, we would expect Paul to speak of self-discipline in terms of freedom in Christ from the power of sin. And although that teaching is very implicit in these verses, the explicit context is firmly eschatological. That is, that Paul has an end focus on keeping his eye on the imperishable reward to come. And I'm going to quote some of what Paul says from Nick King's dynamic translation of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 9:26 and 27. This is quoting from Nick King's uh, Greek uh, translation. Paul says he beats his body roughly with punches that don't miss their target so that he might get the gold medal at the end of the race. He speaks of winning an imperishable wreath, of winning the crown of glory that never passes. So Paul is seeing self-discipline as important in attaining the goal of this imperishable reward. And more particularly, the language and the imagery suggests that Paul sees physical self-discipline as important in this. Now, no doubt he uses the imagery of athletic competition, just because Corinth was quite close to the location of the biennial Isthmian athletic games, And no doubt another reason would have been that Corinth, the seaport, was well-known for being a place of sexual immorality. Yet it seems that Paul's choice of imagery nonetheless suggests that he regarded physical self-discipline as very important, both to faithful witness to Christ, as well as to the future with Christ in the age to come. And I want to set out some reasons why I think that Paul is deliberately teaching physical self-discipline Is important in attaining the goals in the ages to come, because obviously the implications for how we live now are quite considerable. So the first thing I want to argue or say that physical self-discipline is important to Christian discipleship because God created us as physical beings who inhabit a material universe, God's good creation. The spiritual is thus integral to the physical. I live in my body, although I was extremely alarmed when I was a curate. There was a lady who'd regularly pray disembodied prayers. Different body parts regularly went to hospital. So we pray for Mr. Jones, whose neck has gone to hospital, or Mrs. Smith, who's gone to hospital with her knees. And you'd be sitting there thinking, well, did Mrs. Smith, the rest of us, stay at home? But anyway. But the point is our body and our soul are one and the same, aren't they? They're integrated. And as C.S. Lewis wrote in his letters to Screwtape, What I do with my body affects my soul. Now, in many faiths, the physical world is something opposed to the spiritual. Many faiths teach we need to escape from the material world and seek enlightenment. The focus in Christianity is not enlightenment, but it's on this regenerating wholeness. And that necessitates disciplining the whole person. The bodies are fundamentally a good gift from God, despite the aches and pains and despite the temptations that we experience in them. But through our bodies, we seek to glorify God and live life to the full. And the second point is very much related to that, that Christianity teaches the redemption of the whole person, including the body. Romans eight twenty three, We who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we await for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. So our bodies are central to the hope we have as Christians, a point that Paul goes on at some length in 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about the resurrection, as we know. We look forward not to some vague spiritual ephemeral existence wafting round as some disembodied spirit, but to a new physical body in the newly restored heaven, and Earth, and I think the implication of Paul's teaching here, I think there's some implication, you can think about whether you agree with this, that our existence in the world to come as a physical being seems somehow associated in his mind with the need for physical self-discipline in this life. That's something to think about. So our bodies are important. They're a gift from God. The suggestion that our bodies... Uh, are are some significance in the life to come. And it shouldn't surprise us, therefore, that our bodies are often the focus for the spiritual battleground. And for that reason, I thought it was worth looking at 1 Corinthians 6. If you turn to it, it's page 1148. 1 Corinthians 6, 1148. I just want to make three points from 1 Corinthians 6. The first point is, a Christian should not allow him or herself to be mastered By anything. Look at the last part of verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, etc., but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, as Christians, we're not bound by religious uh, legalism. We don't have to keep certain rules. We are to honor God with our bodies and we're not to sin sexually. It's also noteworthy this injunction in verse 12 that we just looked at, suggests there are many things that are not wrong in themselves but might not be personally beneficial to our life in Christ. So, for example, I got into the habit at one point in my life of listening to music written by Mahler, which was having a profoundly depressing effect on my emotions. And I decided that actually, for me, at that time, it was unhelpful to listen to this music, so I stopped listening to it. The desire to listen to the music, which I was kept going back to, faded. Now when I listen to the music, I can appreciate it without it having that enslaving hold, if you want to say, that it once had. So my point is that sometimes we need to put restrictions on ourselves so that we don't let a negative thought or pattern develop and take hold. I expect most of us at some point stew about relationships or situations that have gone wrong in our lives. How easy is it for that to just play round and round in the back of our head? We need to discipline ourselves, and it's very difficult, to commit the matter to God, leave it, and not to dwell on these negative emotions. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 speaks about taking thoughts captive to Christ when a negative thought comes into our head, we need to replace it with something positive. Perhaps a word from scripture. Philippians exhorts us, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, think on those things. If it's a negative image in our head, perhaps we can think of something that's a positive visual image that we can actually discipline ourselves to focus on. Willpower might not strike sound very spiritual, But willpower and prayer, I think, are both necessary for the mature Christian life. And if we find ourselves falling into a pattern of thought or behavior that's unhelpful, we need to think, how can we stop that? Personally speaking, I find it helpful to create rules for myself that aid self-discipline. I've had various rules at different times in my life. I used to have a rule that I ate chocolate only on Sunday afternoon and on Wednesday That was quite a useful rule. Actually, I don't like chocolate that much, so it doesn't matter that much. But it's amazing we find ourselves drawn to watching something unhelpful on TV or an internet site when we come home from work, and particularly this is so if we're on our own. What strategies can we think of that will stop us doing that or make it less likely for us to have have that temptation? I don't know. Maybe you can lock your laptop in your car boot. I don't know what you can do. But if we're addicted to using our iPhones, or if we're anxious that we've got to check the latest email every two minutes, maybe we need to think about rules for accessing them, accessing them at times and places, so that we are not enslaved to them. We need to reflect on how we live and the patterns that we have, so that we do not get into habits that enslaves, or that we can break those habits at an early point. As Paul teaches, we must not be mastered by anything. Rather, our physical desires must be kept in check. And of course, this willpower needs to be accompanied by prayer, goes without saying. And if we find ourselves enslaved by a particular issue, then it's a good thing to seek the prayers of a mature Christian who is confidential, who will pray with us, 2 Corinthians 4 speaks of believers having access to divine powers that break down strongholds. And these are struggles with sin and things that are very opposed to the ways of God. And so these things that enslave us, we need to take action if we're going to finish that race and receive the crown of glory. The second point I want to make from 1 Corinthians 6 about... Paul and self-discipline is verse 17. Our bodies are members of Christ himself. Verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 6. Yes, when we come to Christ, we put a great stress on sins being forgiven. But there's also an emphasis in Paul, and I don't know whether it's a greater emphasis or not. You can think about that. On being in Christ on being incorporated into Christ. And if we really focus on that, what does it mean for us to be in Christ? Then we remember actually our self-identity comes from who we are in Christ. Our comfort should principally come from knowing we belong to Christ. Thus, if I'm tempted to turn to alcohol to drown my sorrows, I need to remember that Christ loves me, and that is my comfort security. We need to believe if we belong to Christ, our self-worth and our identity comes from who we are in Christ. The third thing and the last thing from 1 Corinthians 6 is in verse 19, a verse you're no doubt familiar with, it's honour God with your body. God lives that the Holy Spirit dwells within the heart and life of the believer. It follows that we should honour God with our body. So we've seen that Paul thinks physical self discipline is vital for the consistent life. He says in 1 Corinthians 9 that it's important lest he who preaches, that's Paul, should be disqualified. He also sees it's vital to essential to gaining the reward of the imperishable crown. He sees it as central, this physical self dealing is central to our future, as physical beings in this newly restored heaven and earth. And so these two things, the desire to live a Christian consistent life of faith here, together with this vision of living a physical being with a resurrected body in the newly restored created order, those things motivated Paul to strive for bodily self-discipline. He exhorts his readers, run the life of faith so you get the prize. Be purposeful Looking and keeping your eye on the reward. Well, I don't know about you. Sometimes I think I'm dawdling along in the life of faith and running. I was never very good at it at school, and it's got worse since. But it would be unfair, of course, to make comparisons with yesterday's boat race. But we do need to strive to finish the race, the race, of the life of faith, and to receive the crown. We've got to keep our eyes on that final goal of being accepted by Christ and rewarded by him. Now, in our busy secular society, that's very difficult. We're very concerned with the matters that are here and now. It's not so easy to keep a focus on such a goal. But Paul stresses the importance of keeping our eyes on that finishing post and the life to come if we are to learn self-discipline. So I conclude just with two questions. Well, actually, I think there might be three questions, depending on how what you count a question as. Number one... What might you do to strengthen your focus on finishing the race and the final prize? What might you do to strengthen that focus? And second, how does what you do with your body currently affect your spiritual life? And the second part to that question, where do you need to work at self-discipline and break habits that enslave? Well, sometimes it's very necessary to seek the prayers of others the prayer ministry team is available afterwards and there are various uh christian organizations that offer prayer in a confidential setting away from uh, one's home locality that can be very useful particularly some issues that perhaps one doesn't particularly want to share with people in uh, one's immediate environment so may god help us as we think about these things amen